This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Vance Havner, I like to quote him. Vance Havner was an old country preacher from North Carolina. He's with the Lord now. But he made this statement, and in fact, he would often say this. He said, the detour is always worse than the main road. Our lesson's title today is Beware of Detours. We find in our chapter today, this 16th chapter, a detour that Abraham and Sarai made that was costly. Costly to them, and in fact, it's costly to us today. And we'll see how that fits in here in just a few moments. But anyway, Genesis chapter 16 records this painful detour that Abraham and Sarah took on their pilgrimage through, through life. And um, it brought a lot of conflict, not only in their home, but in the world. What they did, uh, great conflict. What today's journalists call the Arab-Israeli conflict began right here in this chapter. And we'll see how that unfolds today. So this incident is it's much more than an ancient history uh, with modern consequences. It's a good lesson for God's people about walking by faith and waiting for God to fulfill his promises in his way and in his time. Impatience is uh, not a virtue. In fact, it's a, it's a serious uh, problem that, that all of us have. We get very impatient. We get impatient with our wives, our husbands, with our children. We get impatient with people. Uh, but sadly, we get impatient with God sometimes, and, and we walk ahead of God. We want God to do things in our time, on our schedule, rather than allowing him to do what he wants to do, carry out his will in his timeline. And, um, and so <clears throat> this is a good lesson for us today. So Roman numeral one in your outline. By the way, did everybody get a copy of the handout? If you don't, raise your hand. We'll get one to you right away. Okay. Roman numeral one, one is waiting. In chapter 16, the first part of that verse, it says this, verse 1, it says this. Now Sarai and Abram's wife, now Sarai, Abram's wife, bear him no children. Um, Abraham is 85 years old now. And uh, <clears throat> he doesn't, he's, he's going to be 100 years old when, when, uh, when his son Isaac is born. But at this point in time, he's 85 years old, and they still haven't had any children. Well, you know that Sarai's already gone through menopause, a change of life, and she's beyond the ability to bear children now. But, uh, but evidently, uh, Abraham is not uh, unable to, to, uh, uh, to produce children. So anyway, he's 85 years old. And now he's been walking with the Lord for 10 years. He was 75 years old when God called him out of the earth, Chaldees, and when he left Haran and came into the land of Canaan. And so now for 10 years, he's been walking with the Lord. And those first 10 years of his walk with the Lord were precious. They were good. He walked in the will of God. 
uh, there was a little hiccup there when he stopped in Haran. When God told him in Ur of the, Ur of the Child, Chaldees to leave and go to a land that you're, you're, you're going to be a stranger in. Talk about Canaan. And um, because of his father, he stopped off in Haran for a little while. And then when his, when his dad died, then he made the journey on, he and Sarah on to, uh, to Canaan. They're a little hiccup, but we all have those hiccups in our walk with the Lord, don't we? And uh, Abraham was no exception to that. But uh, it was a period of waiting. They had no children. It was a period of waiting. And um, God had promised Abraham that he was going to give him a child and that he would become the father of a great nation. We learned that way back in chapter 12, in those first few, first four verses there in chapter 12. God made him that promise. Well, that was 10 years ago. And now he's 85 years old and he still doesn't have any children. And now it looks beyond hope. Um, you're way ahead of me. We're still on waiting. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you push the wrong button there three times? All right. <clears throat> so, uh, most people don't like to wait. Although, through faith and patience, according to Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 12, Paul tells us there that faith and patience that we inherit the promises. And if we learn to wait on the Lord, um, Isaiah wrote that in chapter 40 of the book of Isaiah, chapter 40, verse 31. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary and walk and not faint. And so each one of us in our Christian life and our walk along the way, we have to learn how to wait on God. A lot of times our prayers, I, I, I have individuals that I've been praying for for many, many years that are not saved yet. But I'm going to continue to pray for them. Uh, God in his time, I believe, will answer those prayers. And many of us have been praying for different things that we haven't seen God work yet. And so sometimes in our walk with the Lord, we get to the place, say, Lord, are you deaf? Can't you hear me? And don't look at me with a pious look because each of us have done that somewhere along the line in our lives, haven't we? Uh, we begin to question the Lord. Well, Abraham and Sarai did that. And it cost them dearly. And so God has a perfect timetable for keeping his promises. And he doesn't all, they don't always synchronize with our timetable. After all, <clears throat> this event was, was, not, uh, was not the birth. Uh, after all, this event was not the birth of just another baby. It was a part of God's perfect plan of salvation. This child that God had promised Abraham is part of God's eternal plan. And uh, God's working out his plan still is. And uh, so... Um, uh, it, was, uh, it was part of God's perfect plan for the whole world. And as Sarah waited uh, for something to happen, she became impatient. There are four evidences or components of true biblical faith. And as we look at these four components here for the next few moments, I, I want you to think about your faith and your walk with God. Are these evident in your life? First of all, letter A. Okay, it's time for letter A now. 
Good deal. <laughs> Got to keep that lady straight up there. I can't hear you. It's probably a good thing. <laughs> I still don't know what she said. It's probably a good thing. <laughs> That's all right. Never mind. <laughs> all right. Letter A. Here, here's the first component of, of, uh, of true biblical faith. You're concerned that only God will receive the glory. Is that a part of your walk with the Lord? That only God will get the glory? Or is it in our life that, you know, we kind of like the glory a little bit? Why did God wait so long? He wanted Abraham and Sarah to be physically as good as dead. That's found in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 12. The Bible says that they were as good as dead. You know what that means? It means that it was beyond their ability to fulfill God's plan. As far as childbirth was concerned, Sarah was dead. She didn't have the ability to bear a child. And at age 85 and then at age 100, when God allowed his, uh, the child that he promised to be born, uh, you would think a man that old would have a little trouble uh, conceiving a child, but uh, we know it happened. And so God had to put them in a place where they would realize that this is God's doing, not theirs. And that God would get the glory. Do you realize that sometimes God allows us to wait for that reason? Until we get to the place where we understand that it's not of our doing. God did this. And he's the one that gives the glory. And so, um, letter B. You're willing to wait on God to fulfill his will in his time. Isaiah 28 and verse 16 says, He that believeth shall not make haste. What a verse that is, you know. But we get in a hurry, especially in our age, you know. My wife and I just recently were talking about how fast time seems to go. And that's been a, that's been a, a subject to conversation among several of us recently. That the older we get, the faster time seems to go. Actually, it doesn't go any faster. It just seems like that, doesn't it? And uh, here it is, almost this, this year is over half over already, folks. You realize that Thanksgiving is only a couple weeks away? <laughs> and a week after that is Christmas? <laughs> but we have to wait on God and uh, expect his will to be accomplished in his time frame. By the way, Paul quoted this verse, this verse, Isaiah 28, 10. Let me read it again. He that believeth shall not make haste. And here's what Paul, Paul quoted this verse. He refers to this verse. You wouldn't necessarily identify it or recognize it by what Paul wrote. But notice what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 10, verse 11. He amplifies it a little bit. He says, whosoever believeth in him shall not be ashamed. Well, that's not a quote of that verse. Well, it actually is, but Paul here, he's, he's emphasizing something. Whenever we stop trusting God, we start making haste in the wrong direction usually. 
And then we end up ashamed of ourselves. Why? Because God's going to keep his promise, but in his time frame. And then letter C, you're, are you, you're obey, you are obeying God's word while you're waiting on the Lord. This is the third evidence of faith. Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says, So, so then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And so we have to depend upon the Word of God and trust the Word of God. You can act by faith uh, and, and know that God will bless if you're obeying what He says in His Word. You realize that in Hebrews chapter 11, that's the category, that's the, uh, that's the, uh, the book of faith. You know, all those characters mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. Do you realize that all of those people were just Ordinary men and women, people just like you and me, nothing exceptional about them. Now, they did exceptional things because they waited upon the Lord for God to fulfill his word through them and work through them. But men, they put their pants on the same way you and I do. Now, back in those days, they didn't wear pants, I guess, but <clears throat> I mean, all things being equal. And ladies, they, they like to spruce their hair up a little bit too, you know. They, they were just ordinary people. But that's who God uses to fulfill his work and his plan. And we have to be content with that. And, um, and then uh, letter D. You have God's joy and peace within you as you wait on the Lord. And uh, that kind of comes from Romans chapter 15 and verse 13. Here's what Paul said there. He says, now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. That word believing, of course, is in faith. That when we trust in God and wait upon him, that we'll experience the joy and the peace of God in our lives. I had a a lady who was a <clears throat> member of former, former church I pastored in Indianapolis a no, number of years ago. And she's kept in contact with Jan and myself. We get a Christmas card from her each year. She uh, emailed me the other day, and, and she said, Pastor, I, I, I need some advice. And uh, <clears throat> she said, I, uh, and I'm, I'm, go I'm just going to give you this briefly because I, I really need to move on here. She said, I don't know whether to take the COVID shot or not. Uh, she says, I've never put any kind of medication in my body. And she said, I feel like if I take that shot, I'm violating, I'm violating God's, uh, God's temple. And uh, she says, my husband wants me to get the shot. And, and it, she listed some reasons why he did, and they were all valid reasons. And so I wrote her back and I said, Carolyn, I said, there's a lot of controversy about that and I understand your frustration over it. I said, but I, I, would not I would not counsel you contrary to your husband's advice. God gave you a husband for a reason. And I wouldn't counsel you contrary to your husband's advice unless the advice he's given you is contrary to God, contrary to the will of God, word of God. And I said, what he's saying is not contrary to the word of God. It's a matter of personal preference, I believe. And I said some other things. And I got an email back from her yesterday saying that 
she got the shot and got perfect peace about getting the shot. And so I responded, I said, well, I'm glad God gave you peace. But that's the thing that God does for us. When we wait on the Lord and are willing to follow his will, he gives joy and peace within. We can experience that. I, I told my wife uh, when I was pastoring years ago, I said, honey, by the grace of God, I'll never get us out of the will of God as far as ministry is concerned. And I never have. Every time I've made a ministry change, I've had such an overwhelming peace about it. I didn't, explain, I didn't understand all of it. I didn't know why God led me in such a way. But I was willing to wait on the Lord. When I came here, good news. I knew for a year. This is why I was pastoring in Hopewell. I knew for a year, almost a year, that probably my ministry there was complete and that God was going to move me along to another church. I don't know, I just sensed that. I didn't hear any voices over that. So I prayed for one year. I said, Lord, I'm open to your will. And lo and behold, uh, one day I get a call from Wayne Berry. That Pastor Coles, our pastor, has left. Would you be interested in coming and looking at this work? I didn't hesitate. I said, sure. Well, make a long story short, uh, here I am. But when I came over here, Jan wasn't with me when I first came here to look at the ministry, and I preached. I wasn't candidating, but I was just preaching. You were looking at me, and I was looking at you. And we got a little Google-eyed over that. And, uh, but I went back to Hopewell, and I said, Jan, God's moving us to Chesapeake. And just God just gave me a settled piece about that. And lo and behold, you asked me to come and candidate, and I did. And you voted me in, and here I am. And that's the way it's been. Every time I've made a change in the ministry. The same thing happened when I retired. I, I knew that I was going to be retiring probably a couple, maybe three years before I actually did. In fact, I mentioned it from the pulpit, if you'll remember. A, a couple years, at least a couple years before I actually retired. But I didn't know when. But I knew this. I knew that when, I, when the time came that God would give me the perfect peace that I needed about that. And he did. And it was almost like God spoke to me. He didn't. He did in a sense, but I didn't hear any voices. You understand? You know what I'm talking about. When it came time for me to turn it over to somebody else, which happens to be now uh, Pastor Asher, I had such a settled peace about that. I, it's beyond explanation, just waiting on the Lord. Two or three years, I prayed about that. Lord, when should I retire? I didn't know. And um, I mentioned to the deacons one time, I, <clears throat> when I uh, turned about, I don't know, I don't know how old it was, probably 69, 70, something like that. I made God a promise. And I said, God, I'm not going to become an old man and let this church fall apart around me. I've seen that happen too many times. And I said, I want you to tell me when it's time to go. About two years later, in a deacon's meeting one night, um, Winston, you were in that meeting. Let me see who else may have been 
in that meeting. Some others are, were in that meeting. Kenny Rock and Mike Rock and others. I said, man, I made God a promise some time ago. And I want to share it with you. And I said, I'm dead serious about this. And uh, my promise to God was this, that I will not become an old man and let this church fall apart around me. And then I said this, I said, man, I want you to love me enough to tell me if you see that happening. And Mike Rock said, Pastor, we know you've lost some of your step, but we're not ready to get rid of you yet. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> and I appreciated that. That was encouraging. I knew I'd lost some of my step too. But I had a good staff, and my good staff gave me longevity. But when the time came for me to hang up my shingle, it was just like God spoke to me and said, okay, Coles, it's time to quit. Well, I didn't quit. I just retired. You know, I'm still serving God. But waiting upon the Lord is important. Praying about it. I'm sure, Carl, you've seen this happen over and over again in your ministry with the tent. How God has just uh, opened doors and closed them, and you've had to wait for them, haven't you? And Flo, the same thing with you, you and Fred. All right, <clears throat> Roman numeral two. Here's the detour. Scheming. This is found in the last part of verse one through verse four. Here's what it says. And she had a handmaid, an Egyptian. By the way, Hagar, the Egyptian, the, the handmaid, was given to her. Remember back a couple of chapters ago that they made a detour down into Egypt one time. That was another little detour as well. Um, that could have been very serious too, but God made sure that turned out okay. That Pharaoh down there, <clears throat> when he told them to get out of the land, he gave them cattle and, and uh, sheep, you know, and, and flocks and and, and then some handmaids. And we believe that Hagar was one of these Egyptian handmaids that he gave to Sarai while, he was, while she was down there in Egypt. And so <clears throat> uh, she had a handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said unto Abraham, Behold, now the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. Take, take note of that little phrase. The Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go in unto my maid. It may be, you can underline that little phrase too. It may be that I may attain children by her. And Abram hearkened unto the voice of Sarai, and Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, uh, the Egyptian, after Abraham that dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan, and gave her to her, to her husband, Abram, to be his wife. And he went unto Hagar and conceived. Detour, serious detour, bad, bad, bad idea. Now, Sarah knew she was incapable of bearing a child, but she probably also knew that her husband was capable of begetting a child. Uh, God had specifically named Abraham as the father of the promised heir, but he hadn't told Abraham who the mother was going to be. Now, uh, Obviously, and um, uh, logically, 
uh, would be Abraham's wife, wouldn't it? It should be. And that's what God intended, but, uh, but he hadn't said so. Uh, but perhaps God had other plans. Sarah, Sarah was second-guessing God at this point, and this is a very dangerous thing to do. Remember, true faith is based on the Word of God, not on the wisdom of man. Faith is living without scheming. Sarah said, it may be. Maybe God wants it done this way. What's she doing? She's looking to her own wisdom here. Instead of saying, what thus saith the Lord, she said, well, maybe God wants it this way. She didn't say, thus saith the Lord. Uh, God told Abraham, no, surely, back in chapter 15 of verse 13, he says, no, surely, when he was telling, when he was giving Abraham, reconfirming this, this promise to Abraham that he would become the father of, 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 of a great nation, God says, no, of a surety. But Sarah didn't have that kind of assurance. And furthermore, Sarah was not concerned about the glory of God. She was more concerned about obtaining a child. Perhaps there's a hint of disappointment in what she says here in blaming God when she said, the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. It's often been said that God's delays are not God's denials. But then Satan comes along and he whispered to us, you know, God is holding out on you. If he loved you, things would be different. Blame him. You know where they got that? In the Garden of Eden. Uh, from their original parents, Adam and Eve. What did they do when they sinned? They blamed somebody else. Eve or Adam blamed, blamed Eve. Eve blamed the, the snake. And they start playing the blame game. And so Sarah's doing the same thing here now, playing the blame game. Well, Abraham took Sarah, Hagar rather, as his second wife. It was perfectly legal according to marriage code in that day. Uh, in later years, Jacob did the same thing. He married his wives' uh, maids. But not everything that's legal or that appears to be successful is approved by the will of God. God never accepted Hagar as Abraham's wife. The angel of the Lord that appears to Hagar here in the wilderness a little bit, she called, Sarah, she, called, uh, she called Hagar Sarah's maid, as found in verse 8. And then later, uh, later she called this bond, uh, uh, later she was called the bondman of her son, uh, the bondwoman and her son. Not Abraham's wife. Why? Because whatever is not of faith is sin. And God rejected their whole plan because he had a better plan in mind. And so they took a detour. And when you review these four evidences of biblical faith that we just looked at here, we notice that Abraham and Sarai didn't pass the test. They failed the test. They were unwilling to wait on the Lord. Rather, they rushed ahead with their own plan. They acted only uh, to please themselves and not to glorify God. They were not obeying the word of God. And what they did certainly didn't bring joy and peace to their own heart, and it caused them 
a lot of problems. George MacDonald, who was a Scottish novelist, wrote this one time, and I think he was right. He said, whenever man, whenever man does not, do, whatever man does without God, he must fail miserably or succeed more miserably. That's a good statement, isn't it? And that brings us to Roman numeral three, fighting. Uh, fourth verse through six, verses four through six, the, latter, the second part of verse four, fighting says this, and when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. Sarah, she despised Sarah now when she found out that she was pregnant. And Sarai said unto Abram, my wrong, my wrong be upon thee. In other words, it's your fault, Abraham. Sarai is bl blaming Abraham now. Back to the blame game, right? I have given my maid unto thy bosom, and when she saw that she had conceived, I was despising her eyes. The Lord judged between me and thee. And Abram said to Sarai, Behold, thy maid is in thy hand. Um, in verse 5, Sarai says to Abraham, You deal with it. In verse 6, Abraham says to Sarah, No, you deal with it. <laughs> They're at odds here. They're fighting. Um, you ever do that in your house? Don't answer that. I don't want anybody embarrassed, okay? And when Sarai dealt hardly with her, she fled from, from her face. <clears throat> so they're fighting among themselves. Well, when you follow the wisdom of the world, you'll end up warring just like the world does. I'm not going to get to the book of James today, but, but just take note. I think probably these references are still in your handout there too. James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18 fits right in there. All fights, family fights particularly, are, are painful. <clears throat> and they're the most difficult to settle. And had Hagar maintained the attitude of a servant, things might have been a little different. But she became proud and this irritated Sarah. Well, there were some solutions to this. Sarah had a solution to the problem. Her solution was to blame her husband and the mistress, her servant, and mistreat her servant as she vented her anger. She seems to have forgotten that she was the one that actually arranged this marriage, you know. Abraham also had a solution to the problem. Uh, his solution was to give his wife, um, uh, to give to give in to his wife, and abandon their spiritual his spiritual leadership in the home. And here was Hagar's solution. She ran away from the problem. We find her here in the next few verses going to running back to Egypt, and uh, the angel of the Lord intervened there. And so they all had solutions to the problem, but they were all the wrong solutions. Uh, they were fighting. And that brings us to Roman numeral four, submitting. And this is the rest of the chapter. I'm not going to take the time to read all of that. I hope you have read ahead of it. But James explains why Christians fight and how Christians can, and how Christians can be at peace. In James chapter four, the first 10 verses of James chapter four, I hope you take a look at that because it so describes us so often there. 
Our battles among ourselves are caused because we obey our three enemies instead of obeying God. Our three enemies. Who are the three enemies? Our three enemies. Yeah, the world, the flesh, and the devil. <clears throat> How can we expect to be at peace with God and with each other when we're living with the enemy? It's impossible. James chapter 4, verses 6 and 7 say this. <coughs> God, God resisteth the proud, but he gives grace unto the humble. And then the next verse, verse 7 says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. And so the rest of this chapter, we see Abraham, Sarai, and Hagar submitting to God. And that's what they should have done in the first place, but they didn't. So here it is. Hagar had to submit to God. This is verses 7 through 14. This is the first appearance, by the way. Well, let's read verse 7. Verse 7 says, And the angel of the Lord found her by the fountain of water in the wilderness, by the fountain in the way of shore. And he said, he said Hagar, Sarah's maid, said, and, he sa and he said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, whence cometh thou? And whither wilt thou go? And she said, I flee from the face of my mistress Sarai. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Return to thy mistress, and submit thyself unto her hand. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, I will multiply thy seed exceedingly, and it shall not be, and it shall, and it shall not be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Behold, Thou art with child, and shall bear a son, and shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord hath heard thy affliction. Now he'll be a wild man, verse 12. This is an important verse. He'll be a wild man. His hand will be against every man, and every man's hand against him, and he shall dwell in the presence of all of his brethren. <clears throat> the presence of all of his brethren, his half-brothers, the Jews. The Israeli-Jewish conflict started right here. And it's still going on. We can't blame all of the Arabs uh, for the conflict today because not all of them are in that conflict. And some of them, uh, some of them uh, do support the Jews. But basically, that's what Pal the Palestinians and, and the Israelis, that's what that fight's all about over there. It goes back to Ishmael. God said he'll be a wild, wild man. And by the way, the Hebrew word there, he'll be a wild donkey. That's, in, that's the Hebrew. Wild donkey. And, uh, and indeed he is. Um, aggressive, very aggressive. Uh, basic, basically, the Arab people are very aggressive people. They're at war with everybody. And, and <clears throat> it says here that... Um, He'll be a wild man and be against every man and every man's hand will be against him. You know why every man's hand is against him? It's because he's against every man. The descendants of Ishmael. That's why there's such turmoil there in the Middle East between the Arabs and the Jews. If the, Jew, if the Arabs had their way, they would annihilate Israel. And uh, so on. We talked a little bit about that last week when, <clears throat> in 1948, when uh, 
the, the Jewish nation was reestablished there in Palestine, and that territory was given to them. They've never, they've never possessed, not even under David and Solomon, possessed all the land that God promised to them there. That'll take place during the millennium. But it's a constant conflict over there, and it's going to continue to be a constant conflict. <clears throat> and the worst of it hasn't come yet. Thank God we'll not be here for the worst of it because during, during the tribulation period, Israel is tremendously attacked. Uh, not only by the Arabs, but we believe by the Chinese as well in Russia. And, uh, <clears throat> and so there's a big battle gonna, that's going to take place over there between the Jews and everybody else. Uh, spearheaded, I believe, by the Arab nations. Probably Iran. Um, anyway, let's move on. And so Hagar had to submit to, um, to God. Uh, let's see here. I'm going to have to skip over some of this. Oh, let's talk about this well. Um, <clears throat> let's read a little bit more here. Uh, verse uh, 14. Wherefore, the well was called, remember... The angel of the Lord found her at a well that was there in the wilderness. The well already existed. But anyway, <clears throat> uh, wherefore the well was, uh, was called Bir Lahai Roy. Uh, behold, it is between Kadesh and uh, Bered. Now, what's the significance of that? Well, <clears throat> she called the name of that well... Birlahai Roy, it literally means this, the well of one who lives and sees me. Notice what she says. Uh, go back again to verse 13. And she called the name of the Lord, and she called, she called the name of the Lord uh, that spake unto her, Thou God seest me. By the way, this angel of the Lord, by the way, this is the first appearance of, of the angel of the Lord in the Bible. First time this phrase appears. And we see, that, we see it several times. The angel of the Lord was a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ shows up on the scene here. He's the angel of the Lord. You'll see that she calls him God in this verse. And everything he does, only God could do. And so thou, God, seest me. For she said, I have also, for have I also looked after him that, that seeth me? You know what she's asking there? She realizes Hagar was more spiritual at this point than Sarai was. She says, here's this angel, here's God. He's looking after me. I'm out here in the wilderness. I'm going to have this baby. <clears throat> and, and I'm left alone. I've been, I, I've been castigated by my maid. I've left her. And, and there's, there, there's fighting back home. And I got out of that situation. Here I am out here in the wilderness. What am I going to do? And God shows up. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't it wonderful how God shows up at the right time? He's always there, you know. But it becomes evident sometimes just when we need him. And so 
the angel of the Lord shows up and here's what she says. She says, he sought me. But have I sought him? That's the question she asks here. Look at it again. She says, have I also here looked after him that seeth me? He's concerned with me. He loves me. He, he's, he's meeting my needs. Have I reached out to him? Boy, what a prayer that ought to be for us. God meets our needs. He's so good to us. He takes care of us. He, he meets us when we need him the most. He shows up in the most dreadful times for us. He seeks us. But have we sought after him? This was her concern. She said, he sought me, but I really haven't been looking for him. And I think in her heart she's saying at this point, I really need to submit to him. And that's what this is all about here. Well, look at the next one. Sarah had to submit to God. How did Sarah feel about Hagar coming back? By the way, the angel of the Lord said, go back to your, go back to your mistress. Go back to Sarai. Uh, Sarah, I'll take care of you. You just go back to her. And so here at this point, the Lord gives her instructions. Uh, you're not going to accomplish anything out here. Go back to Sarai. And so <clears throat> how did Sarai feel about her when she came back into the camp? Did God have time for this poor servant? Was God concerned about the slave girl's baby? Did the God of Israel care for an Egyptian? The answer to all those questions is a big yes. Because the Egyptian's baby, the Egyptian's baby's father was Abraham, and God made a covenant with Abraham. It's an interesting thing over a couple chapters, chapter 21 and uh, verse 13. God is speaking to Abraham about this very matter and about Hagar and about, and about uh, Ishmael, about this child that was born uh, to this Egyptian maid. And here's what he said, verse 13. Well, let's go back to verse 12 to get the context of it. This is uh, chapter 21. And God said unto Abraham, Let it not be grievous in thy sight because of the lad, Ishmael, and because of thy bondwoman, Hagar, in all, that in all that Sarah hath said unto thee, hearken unto her voice, for in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Not Ishmael. God reaffirms the covenant to Abraham here, and he says, Isaac is the one that's the, that's, going, that's the promised child, not Ishmael. But he says this. He said, because Ishmael is your child, and that's in the next verse, and also of the son of the bondwoman, bond will I make a nation because he is thy seed. See, God is still faithful to Abraham, even though they took this detour, and I believe got out of the will of God and caused a lot of problems. God still said, okay. I'm going to bless that child too. That child also will be the father of a great nation, great people. And of course, that's the Arab states. That's the Arab 
nations. And um, there's consequences there. Uh, But God said, I'll honor your seed, Abraham. And so he did. Well, anyway, um, the record doesn't tell us how Sarah responded actually to Hagar. But it would appear that she had accepted Hagar and took her back as a servant. And then we come to Abraham. Abraham had to submit to God. He played a rather passive role in the entire episode. Uh, He let Sarah talk him into taking Hagar as his wife. He allowed Sarah to mistreat Hagar and drive her out of the camp. And apparently, Abraham uh, didn't offer to help Hagar in any way until later in this chapter 21. We see that Abraham finally steps up to the plate. In other words, he finally gets his heart right with God. And steps up to the plate here in chapter 21. When his son was born, Abraham acknowledged him. And he gave him the name that God appointed for him. He called him Ishmael, as God had said. But they had to live with their mistakes. Abraham and Sarah, they had to learn to live with their mistakes. Some of us today are living with mistakes that we've made in the past. But that doesn't mean God's through with us. That doesn't mean that God can't still bless us and use us. That doesn't mean that God has put us on a shelf somewhere. And, uh, and that would be the case, of course, with Abraham and Sarai. God uses them again. Why? Because they came to the place where they were willing to get their heart right with God, submit to God. And then God said, okay, I can use you now. I can use you again. And so I don't know what it may be in, in your life that may be hindering you from serving the Lord or, or what you may think is hindering you from serving the Lord, but get over it. That's what God told Abraham and Sarah to get over it. Get right and serve God. And so Sarah served the Lord. And then Abraham had to submit to God. I just said that, didn't I? And so they lived with their mistakes. And apparently Abraham's heart was full of love for Ishmael. In chapter 17, verse 18, there's an indication of that. But Abraham knew he was not a part of the covenant family. And God's solution uh, for the Abraham or for the Ishmael problem was not to blame Abraham and Sarah and Hagar, but to send another baby into that home by the name of Isaac. And so Ishmael, uh, Ishmael didn't give Abraham and Sarah any trouble until Isaac was born, and and uh, that's when all the trouble began, and that's what the rest of the chapters here uh, indicate to us. You have some stuff there in the, in the conclusion that you can look at for yourself, but go to the last two paragraphs. <clears throat> and let me read these, and then we'll go to lunch. From a human viewpoint, this detour was a tragedy that brought God's great salvation plan to a standstill. But consider the divine point of view. God's never caught by surprise. When he's hindered from ruling, he overrules. He always accomplishes his purpose. We may put up some roadblocks to God's 
fulfilling his purposes sometimes, but he can always go around those roadblocks, always. Um, <clears throat> we're not an insurmountable obstacle that God can't overcome. Don't ever forget that. You see, Satan wants us to think that our disobedient detours become the permanent road for the rest of our lives. And unfortunately, there's so many Christians that have stumbled in life, they have failed to a point in allowing God's will to be worked out in their life that they think it's all over. That their detour now becomes the permanent road. Uh-uh. No, sir. No, ma'am. It's not like that. Like Abraham and Sarah, we can confess our sin, accept God's cleansing, 1 John 1, 9, and then learn to live with our mistakes. Yes, there will be pain and regret, but God's grace will overcome in the end. This quote has appeared several times throughout our study, George Morrison's uh, quote, The victorious Christian life is a series of new beginnings. I like that. Father, thank you for the new beginnings. Thank you, God, for being patient with us. And we sometimes are so impatient with you. You're so patient with us. You're long-suffering. That's what that word in the Bible means, long-suffering. You're patient with us. You work with us. We are a project in progress. And we all haven't become, none of us have come per, become perfect yet because we're still projects in progress. And I pray, Lord, that there will be definite progress in our lives as we walk in faith. I pray that you will keep us from the detours. But if they happen, God, I pray that you'll give us victory over them and we'll keep moving. I pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, please visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We encourage you to share this message with others. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened and God's word has had an impact on your life as together we strive to show forth the path of life. Press on.